1: ¡Bueno, bueno! bueno
0: comandante! ¡Gol, gol, 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 gol! ¡El regate! ¡Delante del portero es de Ronaldo Nazario! ¡Pasa la pelota por encima del balón! ¡Y en la finta tira al portero al suelo! ¡Los tres primeros de la liga! ¡Los hacen el mismo partido! ¡Hack-trick de Morales! ¡Qué golazo también el tercero!
1: Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of La Liga Lowdown, I'm Matt Clark, delighted to be joined once again by Román de Arquea. he's still wearing his robe, he's still got a cold but he's braving that to uh, give his plenty of audio content after another thrilling weekend in La Liga. Román, how are you doing?
2: Hey Matt, a uh, bit better since we last talked a few days ago but yeah, the cold hasn't completely gone, robe hasn't gone either, <laughs> so I'm still wearing that. And regarding La Liga, uh, as you said, some very exciting games, uh, although unfortunately for for my team, Barca it wasn't a great result, but we'll get into that shortly.
1: We certainly will, but we have to begin at Estadio de la Ceramica because Real welcome back, Marcelino. We spoke on the last pod that his actual return was in the Copa and they made hard work of that because they needed extra time to complete the remontada with José Luis Morales scoring both, we're thinking, oh, that's a nice, bright spot for Martelino. Well, today, against Osasuna, he went and scored a hat-trick to uh, give them a 3-1 win over Los Rojillos, his first ever La Liga hat-trick. They're now seven points clear of the drop zone. Everything went right, didn't it?
2: Yeah, everything went right, and it wasn't an easy rival they had in front of them and Osasuna, who are always uh, pretty tough to beat, we could say. And honestly, Martellino, in fact, has had an an immediate impact. Um, They did struggle a bit in the Copa del Rey, even though they pulled through also, as you said, thanks to Morales. But, I mean, who would have said he was going to go and score a hat-trick? You know, his first one also, as you mentioned, in in this competition. And, I mean, it just feels like with such little time, it definitely isn't so much, I think, a matter of tactics, but probably more a mental thing, motivational thing. You know, I think Marcelino uh, brings in this energy to the... Uh, locker room that other managers maybe aren't capable of transmitting and immediately you know he's got his players fired up and and getting a great result and they really needed these three points also in front of the home crowd you know Um, everybody of of course uh, super happy with him back with the result with how the team performed and uh, definitely we'll have to see uh, if if this is just you know a flash uh, momentum of of a spur of good of good um, results or if he can keep this up uh, in the long term hopefully he will and we'll see
1: Indeed it was only his second or Villarreal's second home win of the season in the league so it was much needed in front of their fans as you say now they have got a pretty punishing schedule coming up because as we move into December it is pretty much every midweek until Christmas they have Panathinaikos then they go to Sevilla which could be a pretty good time to go there then they host Maccabi Haifa in the Europa League before hosting Real Sociedad then they travel to Rennes before going to the Bernabeu. And then they close off Christmas with a home game against El Televigo. So lots of games coming up thick and fast. It will definitely test martino's ability to rotate his players. And, and he should get a pretty good idea of who he's going to rely on after that run.
2: Yeah, and definitely we can see that uh, Morales at the moment is is up there and he was actually having quite a discreet season I'd say Uh, I think many games he wasn't even uh, being considered an important player we could say on the bench having just a few minutes towards the end and it felt like maybe this was Morales' decline you know and he was maybe um, not going to return to the version we saw in Levante but out of nowhere two games a ton of goals and hopefully he can uh, keep showing that wonderful uh, football he's capable of
1: absolutely and if you haven't seen the goals listeners check them out particularly the third it's exquisite the way he runs onto the through ball uh completely sells the keeper before finishing expertly so a lovely hat trick from him and a great picture too where he had not one not two but three match balls so i'm not quite sure how that came about but uh, he was certainly enjoying that uh barça though didn't quite enjoy their game this weekend they were at Vallecas and lightning almost struck again because Rayo took the lead with a Unai López golazo. It was his first goal since a 95th minute winner against Elche last season, which ironically sealed the fate of Francisco back in October last year. And now, of course, Francisco was celebrating that goal rather than uh, lamenting it. And it took Barca quite a long time to come back into this. They've conceded the first goal six times in the last 12 matches, Roman, which is becoming a worrying trend. We know they've been able to come back in a few matches, but they couldn't quite complete the job they did salvage a point through a late Florian Lejeune own goal but I don't know what did you make of this game
2: well it's kind of um, uh, well, th- that movie you know where, where the same day keeps repeating itself I forgot the name now in English Groundhog Day Groundhog Day exactly it kind of felt like what you said was going to happen again that Rayo were going to score at some point and then we're going to have to try and come back and then we're probably going to get close but maybe not fully complete the comeback and it was kind of like that, and it's it's a feeling you often get in many of these games with Barcelona. Um, I, I didn't completely dislike the performance. I think it was slightly better than other games we've seen recently. I think having Frankie the young back in that midfield definitely uh, provides a lot, and we have a bit more control. But still, you could tell Frankie wasn't at at a hundred percent. He lost some dangerous balls. One of them, which almost ended up in in a rayo goal, and it does feel like the team still needs a long way to go to, to be at the level they should. And, you know, with a bit of pressure from from up op- the opposition, they tend to suffer too much when we know that Barca has always been a team that has boasted that capacity to play the ball from the back, uh, get past that pressure no matter how hard and intense it is, and, you know, and keep control and go forward. But Barca now doesn't have that ability. They tend to lose the ball much easier than usual. And then even if they do have the control, the problem also comes... In attack, where maybe they don't generate as many opportunities or as many dangerous opportunities as they should, and obviously the finishing has also been a problem in in, in quite a few games. Um, uh, we did have an opportunity; we got the goal thankfully uh, through our own goal, and then Rafinha did hit the post. There was also a possible penalty. A penalty. There were some chances there. But in the end, I think it's a deserved result, even though I have to say that Unai Lopez goal was amazing. But I have to say he was, I think he was quite lucky there because he just struck it out of nowhere and and the ball just kind of keeps curving away from the goalkeeper and and goes in right next to the post. And it was a wonder goal to see, honestly.
1: Yeah, no Tesh Stegen, but nothing much that Inaki Peña could have done about that. Um, Xavi again with his comments post-match. A few Barca fans kind of raising some doubts there again he, he talked about mentality but not so much about the approach and tactics do you think those comments are making things worse
2: well I think we've said this before and Chabi isn't the best in press conferences he tends to say things that uh, backfire you know and um, he doesn't choose wisely I think or maybe he's just doesn't care what others say I don't know maybe that's the reason but I, th- I do think that um he's the one who knows best what's going on maybe there is a part of mentality in there involved but it does seem like many times he's putting a lot of excuses on the table you know instead of actually saying uh yeah we're not playing good enough we need to move the ball quicker we need to generate we need to be more superior in the midfield etc cetera, etc cetera. you know i think those would be more reasonable answers than just always recurring to either uh, mentality to either the the grass to you know all sorts of different excuses he tends to come up with, so honestly I do think he isn't doing himself a favor usually with those comments.
1: Mm, yeah, no, no uh, excuses with the grass and the sun this time around. But that is four games uh, for Chavi against Rayo where he hasn't been able to beat them, uh, which is the now his worst opponent in terms of matches without being able to get a win. Of course, against Bayern he's also got those three defeats, but Rayo two. Uh, four games, two defeats, two draws. Uh, next up for Barca, it's a triple header at home. Massive week because they have Porto in the Champions League, which they can't really afford to slip up in. Then Atleti next weekend. And then Girona all coming to Manduic. A massive, massive three games in the context of the seasonal man because after the results this weekend, they're now four points off Real Madrid, who are current leaders. But then, of course, Girona can, can overtake Madrid as well. So they could be even further behind the lead by the end of Monday uh how how big a week or couple of fixtures is this for for Barca's
2: season well it's it's, it's definitely big um i'd say especially the the Porto game of course because i mean uh, losing there would or could potentially complicate things very much and i think we just can't afford to get knocked out again um before in the group stage so i mean definitely they somehow have to get a good result no matter what it takes so i'm hoping uh, they're mentally prepared for that, even though Xavi has mentioned that that aspect is, is something they're struggling on. And on the other hand, in La Liga, um, there are two big games too, because of course we know Girona and Atletico de Madrid are out there. They're direct rivals for the competition at the moment to win the title in La Liga. And of course, if we were to to lose those games, uh, it would also complicate things a lot for, for us in La Liga. Three home games, I guess that's the slight advantage for us, where... Um, we have to make the most of that although in my case I'll only be able to go to Porto because unfortunately I'm travelling and I'm going to miss Girona and Atleti how unlucky am I? Uh,
1: very unlucky although <laughs> depending on the results you might be uh, picking a couple of games to miss that uh, might not go your way but, uh, we'll so see, you're saying we'll we're going to lose ok thanks <laughs> I, I didn't say that I didn't say that but you never know you sure, never know true, Porto sure. is as you say that's the next game that's the most important and then you know partido a partido. speaking of exactly. that Atleti got a classic 1-0 win over Mallorca on Saturday night and you'll never guess who scored the winner Antoine Griezmann with a sublime header Uh, it means their winning run at home extends to 18 in all competitions which is truly remarkable and yeah it wasn't the most convincing result but Atleti just get the job done and move the head of Barca on goal difference and still have the uh, the game in hand
2: Yeah exactly I mean uh, this was one of those tough games that come after the international break where you kind of feel like the team is not at its best and somehow uh, they need to pull through and they did, you know. And uh, of course, as you said, it had to be uh, one of the best players um, in La Liga, if not the best, as we always tend to say. Griezmann is just always outperforming himself and, and, you know, appearing for the team. And once again, he was crucial because it felt like Atletico weren't having their day. Like Mallorca might just snatch something and, you know, right towards the end. Uh, a beautiful header because it wasn't an actually, actually an easy goal to to get, especially from a guy who doesn't tend to score uh, too many goals with his head. And he he got it past the goalkeeper and three three massive points, I'd say, for Atletico in in their title fight.
1: Yeah, we've we've seen the the who scored on Twitter. The weaknesses he doesn't have any, and it, it's it's hard to argue when you watch him play because he just everything he does is so polished and so. He's just on top of of his game in in every way. And yeah, the longer he stays in this kind of form, the better Atleti's chances of of silverware are this season, I think. And yeah, would you say he's the best player in the league
2: right now? I would, yeah, I would easily say he's the best player in the league right now, honestly. I mean, in terms of form, how important he is in leading his team. Um, Of course, there is Jude Bellingham, but maybe I think he's not as as crucial as he was in first months of the season where he was always obviously leading the team he's still important for Real Madrid but I just think that Griezmann is 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 just a fundamental piece Madrid I think can win games or do well without Bellingham but I think Atleti would struggle much more if they didn't have Griezmann on the pitch
1: mm. Griezmann dependencia <laughs> well speaking of Real Madrid they went to Cadiz and of course we know their their absentees it was quite a as Rory tweeted it was a a pretty weak threadbare I think he said Real Madrid lineup but still good enough to start the likes of Luka Modric and Bellingham and and it was Rodrigo that ended up being the difference and he wasn't even supposed to start because Brahim Diaz was named in the lineup but he had some stomach issues before the game so Rodrigo who was a slight doubt but he did start and then scored a brace making it back-to-back braces for him and then provided the assist for Jude Bellingham who got his goal and that uh, that also means that Rodrigo was involved in three goals um, in a game for the second time in a row, and that's uh, yeah he's just when people were starting to criticise him and question whether he warranted a place in the lineup, he's he's proving that he he is important for this team. And Cardiff went terrible, were they?
2: Yeah, precisely. I think uh, Rodrigo was wasn't looking great. I think he was overshadowed, especially by Bellingham, uh, because it's true that Benitez wasn't doing great either himself, so it was a great opportunity for Rodrigo to actually shine, but he wasn't making it work, and now out of nowhere, you know, he's he's returning to to his best version of himself and, and getting important goals for the team against Acadiz. who you know, it always seems like they're fighting every game, but in the end, they just they're lacking something, you know, to actually compete against the stronger sides and that's why at the end of the day, they're uh, in a complicated position in the standings and uh, they tend to suffer quite a lot it's a bit unfortunate we could say but in the end that's football you know when you have the the offensive uh, power that teams like Real Madrid have uh, they just need a few good chances to to make it work and, and you know they have the quality up front that of course Cadiz unfortunately doesn't
1: Yeah indeed that's now I think 10 um, winless games for Cadiz in all competitions which is their worst run since uh, when they were down in Segunda on their way down to Segunda B so a really concerning run of form for them but again the performance wasn't wasn't awful. The result kind of flatters Madrid a little bit. But probably more worrying for Cardiff is that uh, Colonel Ledesma went off injured before the end of this game. I'll be hoping he's not too badly hurt um, ahead of the next games. But uh, yeah, they uh, stay in the bottom, not in the bottom three, but certainly down in the, the lower reaches of the table. Madrid temporarily, at least, on top of the standings before Girona's game against Athletic. We'll leave it there for part one. When we come back, we'll round up all the rest of the games and pay tribute to Terry Venables, who sadly passed away this weekend. See you soon.
0: Ecuatorianos, escuadras de campo se viene por
2: dentro, Amaga recorta, se va por fuera, va a chutar.
1: ha hecho? Adiós, uno de los goles de la liga.
0: ¡Del latigo de dónde, Marco Antonio! El latigo de Caduna.
1: Welcome back to La Liga Lowdown. I'm here with Roman Darque. Let's go to San Sebastian for another El Soledad victory, this time over Sevilla. They went ahead very early. They're, they're proving uh, quite apt uh, at doing this. Quite a few times they've gone ahead in the first 5, 10, 15 minutes of games, and this game was the same. Free kick from Baranecea, which came off Dimitrovic to open the scoring. And then, probably the goal of the weekend, Unai Lopez was upstaged by Umar Sadiq. This was an incredible golazo, Roman. I'll let you describe it for the listeners who haven't seen it, but it, it was a great moment for him to, to score his first goal in the league since that horrible injury last season. And, uh, yeah, what a way to celebrate that, that return and that goal.
2: Yeah, it was a, a stunning goal. I mean, the whole stadium just, you know, stood up uh, surprised with what had just happened uh, because he he took a shot from extremely far away and also, like, the position of his body and how he turned and how he... How he uh, Kicked the ball it kind of felt like it was he was taking a big leap there you know like uh, are you sure you want to shoot from there but then the the ball went like a missile towards top corner and the goalkeeper had no chance and I mean it was a fantastic goal Um, I've always praised Umar Sadiq uh, here in in our pod I think he's a fantastic striker he looked oh he looked he played really well at Almeria it felt like Real Sociedad was a big move for him that could actually um, reinforce his career and, and his future but unfortunately he had that big injury which uh, uh, killed all his hopes we could say of, of succeeding and of course now he's coming back and it isn't tough with these sorts of injuries you know coming getting back as we always tend to, tend to talk about and uh, luckily he seems to be in, in good form he seems to be uh, capable of, of scoring those goals and if he keeps this up he's going to be a very important player because I think Real Sociedad could really benefit from him especially Keeping mind how well they're doing uh, in Europe, you know, having a guy like him in attack, uh, being able to rotate a bit more when also they play Copa del Rey games, etc., will will allow them to to have the deeper squad they need because uh, we keep praising Real Sociedad. They're playing beautiful football. They play really well, and you know they need their players to to stay fit to keep this up. And uh, another massive result for them.
1: Uh, Sevilla did fight back in the second half through Yusuf and Nasiri header but they couldn't make it all the way back. Uh, that's still no league win for Diego Alonso. They were furious post-game. They've had all sorts of... Uh, the president was speaking out. Uh, Lucas Acampos to, to post-match television was was very angry because uh, said Ramos was booked, but then that was upgraded to a red on VAR. And then Jesus Navas was was so apoplectic with that. He was sent off for dissent and protesting. Uh, Ramos's 21st red in La Liga, which is, of course, a record. But for Jesus Navas, it was just his first so really uh dramatic scenes towards the end of this game uh, Roman did you see this this moment did you think it was fair
2: Well I actually didn't get to see it uh, I read about it, i saw that it was it was about protesting and and Ramos of course uh being a bit too too intense we could say at times but i mean it's also at, at the moment, Never. in the moment <laughs> it was also in, at a moment in the game you know where it's uh where you know I think I guess it's desperation a bit you know 88th it, yeah, minute uh, not much left they see that they're going to lose another uh, three points and sometimes players just lose it a bit you know and, and it happened things that happen you know and it's unfortunate because now they're going to miss two important players um, for the next game but clearly something's not working at Sevilla. Uh, the new manager hasn't really provided what uh, the the club hoped he would provide in terms of improving the team's performances. I keep thinking that getting rid of Mendelivar was the wrong decision, and apparently they're uh, wanting to prove me right for some reason. And I mean, he he did so well at the end of last season. He managed to get them to that trophy. I think it was. I think it was a matter of time that Mendelevar at least got them to. To, to the right track to get good results but they decided to move on and now it seems like they're going to probably end up moving on soon if the uh, Alonso doesn't get a result ASAP.
1: Yeah, that Mendeleba era feels like a kind of dream, doesn't it? Because we're almost back where we were with <laughs> Sampaoli and, and with Lopetegui is just this kind of endless cycle of Sevilla being in trouble and yeah, their form is is really not good, only what, two or three wins all season in all competitions. It's really not good enough for a club like Sevilla, but uh, we shall see. Again, they've, they've got a big game in Europe coming up and then tough games in, in La Liga. As we mentioned, Villarreal next weekend, really tough times. We, we shall see. Speaking of managers under pressure, we spoke about Baco López in the preview pod and um, his Granada side lost 3-1 to Alaves, really damaging the feet against a fellow promoted side. And to add kind of, you know, salt in the wounds. It was Samu Omordion who scored the third and decisive goal for Alaves. Uh, Of course the former Granada player having left to Atleti to then be loaned out to Alaves. Granada fans very unhappy with the way their board handled that uh, process and of course his goal effectively ended Paco Lopez's time on the bench because they did confirm he was sacked on um, Sunday morning And reports are that Alexander Medina is in line to take over at Los Carmenes. He's another Uruguayan coach. Um, He played for Cadiz and Racing Ferrol in the 2000s, but he's never coached outside South America. So Granada kind of doing a severe and opting for a relatively unknown South American to try and save them, which seems a little bit optimistic to my mind. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I I don't know if it was with you. I spoke this uh, some time ago saying that I've never... Really convinced with these kind of of signings in terms of managers bringing someone from from afar who has no experience here or very little experience here in in Europe and and hasn't really proved much and it's it's not coming here and trying to to start the season you know and and build a team it's it's coming with something that's already in the works and that you have to kind of change the dynamic completely and you're not really sure what you're going to find so for me it's 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 too risky you know I I always prefer. Uh, bringing an experienced manager like Mendy Lever, for example, as we were saying just a moment ago, uh, who knows what this is all about and who has, I think, the tools uh, to get the team, uh, at least save the team, you know, that kind of thing. And we're also talking about, as you said, Paco Lopez, and I'm, I am a bit surprised that they waited to right after the international break to do this. Yeah, you know?
1: the timing is so strange.
2: It's so strange, and I understand that losing 3-1 against Alaves the last goal being a penalty right at the end it's almost like a 3-0 it is it is a very very bad result and maybe they'd expected him to at least uh, do something there and and that was you know definitely they're made that sorry it helped them made up their make up their mind at the end but why not do it before give the new manager some more time to work with his players uh, or give Paco Lopez a, another game I don't know it just doesn't really fit in my, my opinion I think they've they haven't done things right. And uh, you know, that's another example of why they tend to struggle, you know, because uh, up top, someone isn't handling things as, as they should in terms of uh, club management.
1: Yeah, indeed. Uh, it, it all screams of kind of model thinking because reportedly as well, the, the first choice replacement uh, in the end isn't going to arrive due to kind of financial discrepancies and disagreements on contracts. So that's already a, a kind of yeah. a public fail if you like and and our old friend Heath Chesters was saying that yeah Paco did the best he could with the squad he had available and um, any new manager will have exactly the same kind of constraints as as he did of course Granada won Segunda last season but looked like they're gonna head straight back down there unfortunately for for Granada um Getafe they had a come from behind win against Almeria Borja Mayoral scored the winner after a Mason Greenwood equalizer um On a day for elimination of violence against women, it was uh, ironic that Greenwood did score, but uh, Getafe haven't lost at home since Bordalas returned. We mentioned that in the preview, and that stayed the same way. They're up to eighth now, looking very solid back to kind of pre um, the the previous era of Bordalas, Bordalas ball at Getafe. And yeah, Almeria still winless, still. Looking pretty. I mean, they're not get they're not conceding quite so many goals as they were before, but they they just can't find the result anywhere, and they look in more danger by the week. Roman, uh, any thoughts on this one?
2: Yeah, well, I think it was a must win for for Getafe uh, because, as we've been saying, El have looked really poor all season. I mean, they have had moments of uh, decent moments, but still, it just feels like they're not going to get anywhere in a team like. Getafe is very difficult to break down, you know, to to beat, especially, as you said, playing at home with last being the manager, uh, it, was, it, would, it would have taken a miracle, I think, for them to win, even though, of course, they did get that goal, they did have their chance, uh, but in the end, uh, it wasn't to be, and I said it the other day in the pod, for me, Almería are already a team of Segunda División, in the second division, so... Honestly, I don't even think a miracle can save them, even though they are not too far away in terms of points because, as I said, <laughs> the other teams aren't doing very well either. So, in the end, um, they're just seven points away, we could say, to take into account. They haven't won a single game. I think that's not too bad. Uh, but still, I mean, it, it takes it's going to take a massive, massive thing or, of course, for the other teams at the bottom to be very, very bad too, which seemingly isn't... Crazy thing uh, to say, but uh, honestly, don't see how many are getting out of there.
1: No, no, it's looking uh, harder by the week. The longer this this run goes on, the harder it will be to, to drag themselves back. Uh, one promoted side that is doing pretty well is Las Palmas. They went to Betis um, just this Sunday evening. Uh, competed really well, but they did fall to uh, a William Jose goal. He scored again. Isco has been magic again. there's the chance creation machine. It's it's so good to see his renaissance. Uh, at Betis. Uh, Yeah, they held on because Las Palmas piled on the pressure late on but ultimately couldn't really force through many major chances. Betis are now 13 unbeaten in all competitions, which equals their best record under Manuel Pellegrini and they have a five-point cushion over eighth place, so nicely secured in the European spots. They have Sparta Prague next, uh, in which a draw will be enough to secure them qualification in Europa League, so going pretty well for Betis and, and Las Palmas just they're a bit unlucky on the night not to be able to have the finishing touch
2: yeah I think they were a bit unlucky and I think it's a bit the problem they've been having all season long where it's an attack you know that they're missing a touch or they're missing something else to to get them those important goals and I mean they have improved definitely since the beginning where they were playing well but they weren't Really managing to get those wins. Now they're a bit better in that aspect, in that offensive aspect, and they did generate a lot of danger. To be said, to be it has to be said. I mean, Vietes did make some very good saves at the end, especially a great save at the end from a uh, Saul Coco shot that was, you know, just flying into the top corner, but he made. Uh, a great move there to to stop the ball uh, and of course Las Palmas were were very good mo- you know the passing the creativity uh, going forward always finding spaces and it was a very exciting game because of that because Palmas were pushing forward uh, Betis were counterattacking that second half and there was a lot of opportunities on both uh, both ends but it did feel like Las Palmas could find a goal sooner than later in the end it wasn't to be as as you said uh, but uh, definitely is doing for me a, a very good job there and if they can maybe find a signing there or two to help in the attacking positions in, in the winter transfer market. I think they could have a team definitely to be top half of the table.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, looking good for them. And uh, credit too to Betis for this unbeaten run and long way that continue for them. Uh, final game of the weekend we haven't mentioned is Valencia nil, 0 Celta uh, 0. Benitez Derby, as we called it before the game. Not a massive amount occurred in this game really, which is kind of why it's last of match of the day kind of thing. But um, Benitez got a lovely ovation from Mistaia, which is always nice to see. And, of course, Ruben Baraka was a player that he had in his team uh, during those successful seasons back in the early 2000s. So a uh, decent point for both sides, I suppose. Celta with a clean sheet, which will be uh, cherished, I'm sure, by Rafa. Um, but,
2: yeah, any anything more on that game, Roman, or just...
1: Uh, Happy to move on.
2: <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, if you, there was only one shot on target in the whole game between both teams, so that tends to show how uh, it wasn't one of the best uh, performances. But uh, I do think that Celta need a bit more. They need those wins. beneath especially needs those wins. Uh, we'll see if they come soon, because if not, we might see another Paco Lopez situation, because I don't think they're going to uh, drag with this too much longer, you know. I mean, a draw maybe can work this time, but I don't think many more will be enough. Mm, interesting.
1: Right, well, Girona take on Athletic in the Monday night game. It's, as we say, it's a big test for both sides, really. it would be interesting to see that, how that game goes. Uh, the Mallorca-Cadiz game, which was postponed from before, will be played on Wednesday, as well as uh, a full European uh, Champions League and Europa League round, um, particularly for Barca, taking on Porto at home, massive for them. Sevilla as well, hosting PSV, feels like a pretty important game to decide whether they will play European football at all after Christmas. Real Sociedad already through Real Madrid too. And as we mentioned Betis need just a point to secure their place. But we're going to finish this pod today by looking back on Terry Venables who sadly passed away at the age of 80 after an illness. Uh, he's he means a lot to fans here in England. He was nicknamed El Tel from his time in Spain. He came to Barcelona from QPR in 1984 had to sell Diego Maradona that same summer. His first game was away at the Santiago Bernabeu, which he then won 3-0. And Barca ran away with the league. They were leading from match they one all the way through, uh, which ended an 11-year title uh, drought for Barca. So it was much revered after that opening season. He signed Gary Lineker, signed Mark Hughes, among others, and uh, also won the Copa de la Liga in 1986, beating Betis in the final. But I suppose the, the bittersweet moment is that, that European cup final against Stau Bucarest, whereby they came from behind in the semi-final against Gothenburg that you've probably seen the picture doing the rounds with the the ball boy Guardiola looking up in amazement as Barca came from 3-0 down to, to win on penalties in the semi-final at can now. But then unfortunately in the final in Seville in the sanchez one, they were beaten on penalties by Stau Bucarest. All four of their penalties were saved, but, but overall. Terry Venable has left a, a great legacy at Barca and certainly through English football. So from all of us here, we uh, send our condolences to his, his friends and family and uh, he's left a big hole in English football and uh, and in the corner of Barca too. man, I'm not sure if you were, uh, remember much about that time. I'm sure you're too young. But um, yeah, I'm sure he'll be fondly remembered in the, in the Catalan press tomorrow.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't really born actually when he was around. But of course, we've heard... Uh, great things about him, he also you know brought those as you mentioned British players to to la liga that British touch to, to Spain, which uh, we definitely enjoyed and and there's definitely good memories here in in, in the world of Barca, we could say everybody uh, praises him highly, and as you said, surely there's going to be some uh, some uh, members of the press remembering him and, and you know telling their stories uh, regarding such a relevant manager we could say uh, for football.
1: Indeed. Tell. Well, thank you very much for listening to this pod. We hope you uh, subscribe and, and upgrade your subscription to get access to all of our content. We've had uh, some fantastic pieces written in the last few days. Roman, you did one on uh, Javier Tebas, who resigned, but that's pretty much only so he can call elections and run again. Is that right?
2: Yeah, precisely. Um, he resigned and I think it wasn't talked about too much, but I also explained a bit how the elections kind of work briefly and in the article for those who are interested
1: Mm, interesting and you have to subscribe and upgrade in order to read that and uh, to hear our midweek pod in which bako and rory will talk all about the uh, the champions league midweek so from all of us here thank you very much for listening and uh, we'll speak to you again soon adios